Welcome to the Legal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. Hi, Jonathan. Christina. We were taking a bit of a beating on Twitter for our podcast scheduling. Yeah, we have not lived up to our, uh, like immediately did not live up to our promise to do it weekly. But we're closer than we were. We definitely are. I mean, we were taking months off. Yes, so we're doing better. But yeah, this is, a you know. And we actually had a legitimate excuse for missing one of the weeks. What was that? Oh, the sicknesses. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, our next, our, this podcast was supposed to be all about our AEW road trip to Charlotte to see Nick Gage at AEW. And the day of the trip when we're supposed to leave, one of the children throwing up. That's right. Plans changed. And in, in the, the era of COVID, you just can't take the risk of inserting yourself and your family and into other people's lives when you don't really know the extent of the illness and, you know, going to see grandparents and stuff like it just didn't, it didn't work. And so we were very saddened to have missed seeing Nick Gage and seeing AEW live, but, uh, what are you going to do? Well, we still saw it on TV. We did. It was awesome. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Uh, but it is it is Wednesday night here as we record this, and we just got off uh, an amazing episode of AEW Dynamite. Yeah, they are on a roll. Um, they are just killing it. It opened with uh, just this uh, just an insane six man tag match between the Elite and uh, Dante Martin and the Seidel brothers, and um, that just really uh, my blood is still pumping from from that match that yeah. opened the show. Honestly, yeah, that was that was an amazing way to to open the show. Um, yeah, that, I I would say the whole. I think it was. I looked at my watch and it was the whole first thirty five minutes of that show was just. I mean, it was just amazing. Absolutely on fire. I was riveted. But because we have already planned this out, none of that stuff's going to be in our top five. But. I just wanted to acknowledge it because that match in particular, um, Dante Martin especially, mm-hmm. uh, just completely uh, blew my mind with his high spots and just like the the level of technical expertise that was shown in that match by pretty much everyone. Yep. Um, Matt Seidel is a wrestler that like, you know, I've, I'm familiar with him, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize until I started watching him in AEW, especially as he works with the younger talent and stuff. Um how good he is yeah. as a professional wrestler, like just his level of craft. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, what, what, a, and he's just like, you know, a guy on the roster. That's how strong their roster is. Yep. Um, I don't know. It blew me away. I was amazed. All right. Well, do you want to go ahead and move into the top five? I suppose that's what we do. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. All right. We'll start with number five, of course. And that is New Japan's Young Lions farewell matches. Our two Young Lions, who I didn't get to talk about it because we didn't do a podcast at the time, have ended their their time in the in the dojo there in New Japan with just an amazing stretch of singles matches against all the top talent in AEW. Just a fantastic gauntlet of challenges and they had their two last matches uh last week in new japan we got yuyu mora against okada and uh suji against naito finally yes after the his large campaign to to score a match with naito that was his last match it was pretty cool um 
I, I'm a in particular a huge fan of these kind of matches. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it here before, but just right. like the style of the matches is much more similar to the the wrestling that I grew up with in my day. Um, just kind of like simple, basic, um, strong matches. Mm-hmm. And none of the kind of like cutesy spots and reversals and and stuff that you see in in the bulk of wrestling right, today right. for good or for bad. Right, like right. Sometimes it's very interesting, but you know, this is, these are simple matches, um, done to perfection. Mm-hmm. Like that's the idea. Like exactly. They want these guys to be able to execute the, the simple basic techniques, um, in, in a way that they just master them. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I think it produces a, a good crop of wrestlers, at least if, uh, past his prologue. And so, um, these two guys in particular, I know, very strong, are, are maybe like among the first young lions. I think that you, as a fan, have grown up with mm-hmm. entirely. That's right. Um, from from their their debuts, mm-hmm. so it's a it's kind of um, bittersweet to see them go, but obviously that's part of it. The the process of them growing into being competitive wrestlers is right. You know, they have to have this excursion period mm-hmm. uh, to be brought back, but. Um, Man, they were they were they were good young young lions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, really fantastic. These matches were great. I preferred the Yamura versus Okada match. Uh, I think it, that's just uh, my preference for style. Um, I I think I saw a lot of other people maybe uh, praising the Suji Naito match even higher. Uh, again, just just my preference for the style. Now we actually know that Yamura is coming to the LA Dojo, and he's in fact we're going to see him right around the corner. Um, with the New Japan pay-per-view this weekend. So we'll get to see quite a bit of him. Now, I'm not 100% sure where uh, Suji's going to go and whether or not we'll get very many opportunities to see him on his excursion. Um, I had heard rumors that he really wanted to go to Mexico. Which is uh, kind of an interesting choice considering his size and bulk Mm -hmm. and the the style of wrestling there. But, um, you know, there's never been fewer options, I think, Right. Um, well, I mean, there have been re- recently, but, yeah. you know, in the past, you know, there was, there were a ton of places guys could go. Mm-hmm. A lot of them would go to like Calgary and Stu Hart that show up in Memphis and all kinds of places. Right. Like there was territories all over the country and all over the world. You could go learn to wrestle in Puerto Rico or Mexico or, right. or you know, it, it was, um, the world was your oyster and now it's basically, um, there, there aren't. Uh, that many promotions that run a regular schedule. Right. So like even if... Oh, you... and even more so now in the time of COVID. Right. So it's a really a rough time. And I think that's why their their graduation was seemingly delayed a bit. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even the last set of Young Lions, uh, uh, Shooter and Ren Narita, like haven't fully, I think, no. gotten the, the excursion experience. No, I mean, uh, poor Shota, he went almost the entire year of 2020 not really getting a chance to wrestle at all. He was over in the UK and everything really shut down there. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, everybody's been kind of, I think, pushed back a little bit. I do wonder about the idea of excursion um, and, and sending guys to your own dojo in Los Angeles um, for New Japan. I think, like, part of what made it interesting uh, – in the, in the past, like mm-hmm. the seventies and eighties and into the nineties even was that, you know, a, a guy would leave Japan and then, uh, learn a, a slightly different style and right. how other things, how things are done differently. Which I think is why Suji was so interested sure. in going to Mexico. Uh, but you know, I don't know that, that that's really what happens in the LA dojo necessarily. 
Um, so I, I don't know. I, I reserve judgment until I see the how the product turns out. But um, I, I wonder, like, uh, with the Forbidden Door being open, mm-hmm. uh, is there a possibility of AEW being, like, the hub of one of these guys? Um, not on their main programming necessarily, but right. on the dark and dark elevation. And then uh, from AEW, you can kind of do some indie experiences as well. Like, but with AEW is like your central point. Right. Um, I don't know. That would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen Rinarita there. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't right now, it seems like that would be wide open. But um, yeah, it was a, a nice way for them to go out. Uh, they they look solid, and I really look forward to to seeing them come back and and do something big. It's been mm-hmm. a long time since we've seen a young lion come back and establish himself right. as a top tier performer. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can't even remember necessarily <laughs> who the who the last one was. You know, um, it, it just hasn't happened in a while. So, yes. I, I, do you see either of these guys as being someone with potential to come back? Well, I was kind of looking at it almost in a class of four, if you include Rin Narita and and Shota. And I definitely think that uh, among the four of them, I, I would suspect that one or two of them uh, is definitely going to make a mark. Well, I mean, they almost have to at this point. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's right. New Japan better hope they can. And everyone in the, on their roster, like the young guys, are in their mid-30s, like uh, – it, there's a desperate need for for new talent, which is the same song that every wrestling promotion sings. Right. um, They're no different than anyone else, but, you know, um, we'll see what happens. I think these guys can do it, though. All right. Number two, Mara Fuji. Number four. Number four. Sorry. Oh, actually, I'm reading backwards. Number four, Suicide Squad. Yes, we, we took, there was some argument yes, about is poll. this wrestling? Is Suicide Squad wrestling? We took a poll, and the the opinion was that yes, it is because of the presence of John Cena as the that's enough as the peacemaker. Could it be anyone? Could you throw a Miz movie in there and be like, that's wrestling? Does it have to be as big a name as say The Rock or or John Cena? No, I don't think so. I think that what makes it <laughs> wrestling is the. The fact that the the wrestler is such a, a big part of the, the picture. That's true. Like, if he had just been in a cameo appearance or something, uh, maybe it's not wrestling. But and, and also, like, you know, something about these superhero movies kind of has the feel of sure. wrestling. Like, with, like, just kind of the madcap action, mm-hmm. the, the um, groan-worthy, like, uh, lines and dialogue and stuff. Like, it's very... It's, right, it's and it's not adjacent. like a rom-com. Like, he... His his bulk, his strength, his ability to fake fight is like a big part of you know why he's in this movie. So I say wrestling. Yeah, I mean, and I think that the ties between wrestling and comic books, like it's the same sort of like hyper masculine fantasy for the most part. You know that they 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 are from the same genre mm-hmm. in that sense, and I think that's why like kids like me and. You know, probably a lot of the the wrestling fans sure. who grew up wrestling fans also were comic book fans right. because it's the same kind of like over muscular tough guys solving all their problems with violence. Like it's the it, it's the same thing. Um, comic books just taking it to a next a next level. But um, the movie uh, surprisingly good. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Like I don't know. If it's objectively good, but it was fun, and that's all I'm really asking for a movie like that. Yeah, so I mean, so my experience coming into it is slightly different in that um, 
I was like a very young teenager when the Suicide Squad comic book, the John Ostrander uh, comic in the in the late 80s was introduced and I was a, an immediate fan of it. And so I've had like this connection to the idea of the Suicide Squad and um, for a long time. So it's, it's a cool concept, the idea of these, um, if you're not familiar with it, like um, super villains who are in prison being given the opportunity to work for the United States government in ostensibly some kind of heroic role. Uh, not always, though. <laughs> but that's the idea, right? Right. And so they, they get these missions, and they, they get time off their sentence if they complete the missions. And then, uh, but they're called the Suicide Squad because the, the missions are extremely dangerous. That's right. And you may not walk away from them. Gotcha. So it's a it's a cool concept. And yeah. It can be played any number of ways. Like sure. The, the early comic books were certainly not uh, comedic at all. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> It, it works as a, as a comedy, and I th- certainly thought this was an improvement over the the last version with Will Smith in, in the lead role. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought both of them were fun, um, but yeah, this one was definitely leaned more heavily on the on the comedy. And and John Cena is is just uh, you can add him to the list now, uh, being in the in the Fast and the Furious uh, movies, and just like uh, his, how comfortable he is both uh, in on film but also like doing the media for the films mm-hmm. and stuff like he belongs uh he's right there with the rock and dave bautista as like guys who left our industry and and really uh did well for themselves like you can be proud as a wrestling fan of how john cena is representing you in, in movies like he's not embarrassing you no like i don't you, think so you know certain others from the previous generation um weren't so great you know we love stone cold but stone cold wasn't the greatest movie actor hulk no. hogan wasn't the greatest movie actor uh triple h wasn't the greatest movie. right i right. mean the miz is the greatest movie but when actor. you but when you think of like when i think of the rock and i think of john cena i can barely think of any wrestlers that have more polish than they do like you know before they left for movies even just in the ring in wwe like they were some of the most polished performers that that they've ever produced. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me that these are the guys who found success in Hollywood. Very well suited for it. So um, I think it's worth checking out if you if you like kind of mindless entertainment. If you're listening to this podcast, well, it's like so strange that the last I don't watch a lot of movies, and the last two movies that I've watched, one of them headlined by The Rock, one of them uh, had John Cena in a major role, and I would have watched those movies anyway even if I wasn't into wrestling um, because of my, my Disney ties brought me to the jungle cruise. And then, you know, I, I enjoy the suicide squad just as an idea. Um, I of course am, am going to watch the suicide squad movies. So I just find that it just, it was just funny to me that those are the last two movies that I watched and they're both headlined by wrestlers. So movie reviews are typically given thumbs up or thumbs down. But this being a wrestling podcast, I'm going to give it a star rating. Okay. And then the Dave Meltzer, original Dave Meltzer star rating, not the new Dave Meltzer star ratings. I would give this three and three quarter stars, which means it's a good movie, uh, not quite a great movie. Yeah, I was thinking like three and a half. So okay, solid. Similar, yeah. Yeah, good, good picture. <laughs> All right, number three. Um, this was an indie show. And I think we had about three different matches from this show that we wanted to talk about. So we'll just talk about the show. Uh, 
Independent Wrestling TV, IWTV 100. Yeah, this was, uh, we, we happened to be able to tune in to this. It was held kind of like in the late afternoon on a, a Saturday, I think, or or Sunday. Or Sunday, I think it was a Sunday. So, But yeah, it wasn't like an evening show. It just happened like in the middle of the day, and we were uh, clued in on it, and then there we were watching it, and uh, I, I loved it. I thought it was a, a great independent wrestling show. Oh, yeah. Celebrating, I think, 100 defenses of the independent wrestling uh, championship, mm-hmm. which is now a world championship, according to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which is still a thing, okay. I guess, in 2021. Um, I, I thought this... Uh, <laughs> it's always a thing to me if they pick Kenny number one. Yeah. Otherwise, I pretend uh, like nothing. I don't remember it's a thing. All, all I'm, I'll say is that Pro Wrestling Illustrated is a fading force when I was a young person, and I'm old. Was well, fading very slowly. Yeah, very slowly, but, <laughs> but uh, distinctly. So... Um, God bless them, though, for making this a world championship, whatever. Um, the matches on this card, uh, a real diversity of uh, of different kinds of things mm-hmm. and talents. Yes. So the, the, the first one that, that I really enjoyed, I think, was uh, Kevin Koo versus Matt Mikowski. And this was probably my favorite night, match of the entire card. Okay. So this was just hard-hitting, fast action, a combination of kind of like a modern style with some like shoot style leanings. Mm-hmm. We've and seen Mikowski yeah, do some nice shoot style some, matches. Some yeah. blood sports stuff. And he's also was an MMA fighter. I, I got a, a message from Sam Kaplan, who used to be the matchmaker at Bellator, who knew the uh, Matt Mikowski. So he has some, um, some real uh, fighting experience. Some bona fides, yes. they would say. <laughs> so you can, and you can see that with some of these guys in the way they execute mm-hmm. moves and holds. Um, in a way that I don't know if realistic is the the right word for it, but more just like uh, their level of comfort. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like the way it actually looks if you are s- sparring in a gym, uh, as opposed to like a guy trying to do a wrestling move. Gotcha. Um, so there, there's a realism to it that that really stands out. But more than anything, this was just two guys like slamming into each other as hard as they could, and that's like exactly what I like to see from pro wrestling. All right. What else did you like? Um, so the, the next match I, I enjoyed was um, kind of like the polar opposite uh, in, in a lot of ways. So it was um, Chris Statlander and Orange Cassidy kind of slumming it from AEW, <laughs> but both having gotten their their big breaks, I think, from, from this brand. Right, and two former IWTV uh, champions. Yes, so um, they, 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 they made their names here and, and were nice enough to come back for this big show. Uh, taking on Lee Moriarty and Trisha Dora, mm-hmm. who are kind of the, the next generation big things. Mm-hmm. And um, this was well executed, funny. Yeah. Um, just like what you would expect um, from from these performers. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was four people who um, wanted to have fun and, and I think we're just really cognizant that they wanted to have a good performance for, for the audience. Now, we, we were some of the early uh, adopters of Lee Moriarty. Like, we saw him very early on in his career and have been singing his praises for a long time. Yeah, a couple of years um, now. And, and it still feels to me like there are big things coming. What do you think? I, I mean, I certainly think so. Um, I think more and more people are learning his name. Um, I've gotten to see him now against more and more competitors and um, working different styles. I... I definitely think that I think he's improving. Um, I think that 
uh, what he's, what we see from him continues to like blossom in the sense that you do, you do get to start seeing like different things out of him. You start in your head thinking like, oh, you know, he could do this and he could face this guy. And you, you just start seeing like a bigger, brighter future for him. He's very adaptable. And, and I think that's uh, pretty important as the, the business shifts all the time, like uh, what's popular and what's cool and what's what's now. He's someone that, that seems to be able to uh, mold himself into whatever's needed for mm-hmm. a match. Like he can do the, the big indie work rate kind of match, can do this comedy match, can do a mat-based match. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's uh, really uh, talented that way and, and just being able to fit himself into to whatever the match calls for. And I, I think that's something you don't necessarily see, not just with young wrestlers, but with like any wrestlers. Like you know, typically people have their pattern. Mm-hmm. Like you, you watch a match with a talent you're familiar with, you can pretty much call it. Well, he definitely, uh, he definitely seems like he knows that he's still learning and he's trying to learn as much as possible. And so, yeah, that, I think that's going to naturally um, lend to adaptability. I mean, if you're, if you're open, you're, if you're open to, to, to take in, you know, more knowledge and, and work with different people, then um, I think we just get to see like more and more good stuff out of you. Well, maybe that's it. Like, it's like, uh, with uh, some other wrestlers, like what you see is like there, there's a level of comfort and, and, and cockiness almost like uh, not outwardly, but like behind the scenes where they're just like, I know how wrestling is supposed to be done. Possibly. And it's done this way. Or 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 it's just they just have to stay within that you know, comfort zone. Right. Yeah. The, the, there's like a, a lack of confidence rather than too much confidence. Right. One or the other. Well, you've established a way of doing things and it's easier to just a lot of times to just continue on that path. Right. Even if that path is not going where you want to go, right? you're on it and you, you stay on it. Whereas I think he's more willing to take that left or right turn. Um, sometimes I think just to see what happens mm-hmm. or, he's, you know, he's studying and thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. I was going to say patience. Yeah. It seems like he has patience with this and, and I mean, you need patience with this because he's very young. Like, um, you know, I, everybody, I'm sure everybody wants to like, you know, shoot to the top as fast as they can. But I mean, honestly, this is a a job where you have to earn your dues. So you better be patient. Yeah. So I, but I think that, I think we'll see both of these, the people across the ring from Orange Cassidy and Statlander uh, in a major promotion uh, fairly soon. Cause I think uh, we, we noted that uh, Trisha Dora is uh, similarly sized to Chris Statlander Mm -hmm. almost. And the, so that means that um, she's she's got she's big, yeah, in, in a good way, and I I think she's talented and she has a a, a persona that that kind of broadcasts like it shoots out from her, you know, right. like um, and and that's big. Uh, my only concern, of course, is that uh, the industry has changed so much just in the last two weeks that like you know besides AEW, like what. What is there still an NXT? Like right. what's going on there? Like is there are, are options shrinking? Right. Like I don't know, but um, I'm hopeful that the WWE will figure their stuff out <laughs> and, and continue <laughs> to provide opportunities for these young talents to to grow as, as performers and because um, they need it as much as we do. Mm-hmm. 
All right, now we're on to number two. Number two. <laughs> and that was Mara Fuji versus Sakuraba. Yeah, Kazushi Sakuraba, MMA legend. <laughs> Kazuki Sakuraba is in his 50s. Mara Fuji is in his uh, 40s. I think the combined age in this match was 93 years wow. old. Um, <laughs> part of the reason I uh, sought it out was Fraser Coffin, who is like a, a longtime uh, internet guy that I've associated with, a kickboxing writer and MMA and wrestling. And um, he asked my opinion on it as a, a shoot style aficionado. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to, to check it out. Um, so we watched this match. It was awesome. Yeah, this is for the, the championship at NOAA. Yeah, the, the NOAA championship. Uh, I would not consider this to be shoot style, although there was uh, some elements, some grappling elements, especially sure. in, in the beginning. Um, I think what su- separates shoot style from regular wrestling is not the necessarily the moves because there were some submission moves and holds mm-hmm. in this match but they were the psychology based it was based in it was regular pro wrestling yes more than uh actual shooting mm-hmm. and and the other big difference between shoot style when it's done right and regular wrestling is the the idea of it looking like a competition mm-hmm. so instead of just like hey i do a move and the other guy just accepts the move right there's some fighting over it Mm -hmm. like uh are you going to get the hold i'm fighting against it you're giving that illusion mostly it's done for real for Mm -hmm. for a time and then uh someone will give it up but you know that doesn't really didn't really exist in this match this was pro wrestling Mm -hmm. and uh but good pro wrestling yeah i mean sakuraba is an excellent professional wrestler yeah i mean so he started his career like um you know, some of the biggest stars of early mixed martial arts were pro wrestlers mm-hmm. first. Uh, people uh, have the the wrong notion that uh, Ken Shamrock became a pro wrestler right. after being a UFC fighter, when in fact he had uh, years of experience as a pro wrestler before mixed martial arts even existed. Mm-hmm. And Sakuraba was the, the same way. He started in, in the UWF system, uh, UWF International. He was like an, an understudy of Takata and, and all these guys. So uh, he had uh, several years of experience as a pro wrestler before becoming a fighter. And so um, I, I don't know what it is about... Uh, that experience as a pro wrestler that, that uh, made these guys such forces in in real fighting. Mm-hmm. But um, both of them were um, prof- like hugely successful and had this profound connection with the audience where they were interesting to the audience long after they should have been. <laughs> you know, when they've had years of, of mostly losses. Right, right. And some of them kind of uh, befuddling or sad, even both of them. And yet, for some reason, people cared. And I wonder if that is uh, related to their wrestling background and that kind of, like, ability to connect with an audience. Possibly, yeah. So um, that's neither here nor there on this match. This match, uh, in its own right, was, I thought, really fun. Yeah, it was super fun, actually. I, I really liked it. So there was, at one point, there was, like, an exchange, and, and Sakuraba is getting chopped in the chest. His mm. chest is bleeding. Yes. And so this was a, a comedic moment where um, he basically turned around and was like, basically told Marufuji, like, I'm tired of getting chopped yes, in the chest. I'm going to give you some new flesh. Please, please <laughs> chop me on my back. So he started chopping him on his back and then uh, eventually snuck that little question mark kick around yes. the side and, and got him in the face. Um, 
I, I, I highly recommend this match. It's one of my favorite matches of the year, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I wasn't sure. Um, I don't, I'm not that familiar with Sakuraba in a professional even... wrestling ring. Oh, okay. I, I mean, obviously. I was going to say, how can that be possible? Right. I've seen some of his shoot fighting and stuff, but but just in just straight up professional wrestling. So I, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. I actually thought it would be a little bit more um, like shoe fighting. And um, he's very entertaining. Yeah, I mean, you can add Minoru Suzuki to the list of the guys that have... Uh... Yeah, also incredibly entertaining. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I guess I think you have a pretty good hypothesis there, starting in professional wrestling and um, being able to make that, that connection, you know, long after you're not really a, a viable um, MMA fighter or, or even shoot fighter. So it's kind of interesting, too. Like, uh, you think about, like... The fact that like Suzuki or, or Sakuraba are, are in their 50s. Mm-hmm. And, and you talk about Sakuraba in particular. Um, he's a, a goofy looking 50 year old man, right? Yes. Sunken chest. He was never like, particularly imposing, I thought. No, like, that was kind of uh, what made him interesting mm-hmm. is that he was a lot smaller than most of the people he competed against. But it's something about that the MMA background, I think, that um, provides the gravitas so that he can be in this match and, and match up. He was the, the tag team champion earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. It's like, even though he's in his 50s, right. even though he looks like anything but a professional wrestler, right? he looks like an accountant or something. <laughs> um, but uh, because of who he is mm-hmm. or who he was, um, there's still like that kind of air of mystery or mystique yeah. maybe more to him. Like, uh, where it's like, we know that wrestling is fixed, but at the same time, like this guy could still give him trouble if he right, wanted to. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, there's just kind of no denying that, that both of those guys have a, have that sort of lanky, sneaky strength to them. But I think it's more like they know things. Yeah. They know things. They could do things to us. <laughs> that gives them that like aura of like, oh no, I have to be extra careful around this 50 something year old yeah i mean if you've ever like just like uh, messed around with one of those guys like it's definitely true like uh, <laughs> they they know a lot of like little ways to to, to hurt a human being exactly like that like for most people that's like not something you ever really think about certainly wasn't your job that you devoted your life to so like you think about these people who have spent a decade learning how to hurt someone right. else like uh, <laughs> no matter how nice they may seem like you always have to have that in, in the back of your mind <laughs> all right we'll move on to number one and speaking of people who know how to hurt other people um Nick Gage on AEW. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a million years ago at this point. Like, we've lived through so much since then. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that Nick Gage appearance in AEW was everything I, I hoped it would be. Yeah, I was actually really shocked. I mean, no one really knew. Right. When they announced Nick Gage as one of the, the trials of Jericho, mm-hmm. he was going to come out representing MJF to hurt Chris Jericho. Um, there was a lot of skepticism. Like, it's hard to look back on that now, having right. knowing what we know. Right. But, like, within the community, like, the idea that AEW and TNT uh, were going to allow Nick Gage on on AEW Dynamite right. to really do a death match mm-hmm. and do crazy stuff, 
Like, people didn't believe it. No, I was expecting that we would get, like, there would be a table, there would be chairs. Maybe something wrapped in barbed wire. He'd pretend to cut them with a, the pizza cutter, you know, Jericho would blade. Um, I, you know, maybe his bat would come into play. I did not in a million years expect to see light tubes. I didn't expect to see panes of glass. Like, I was really, I was really surprised how far they took it on TV. And he savaged Chris Jericho. Yeah. Like, it was not like a light version of the death match. Like, uh, <laughs> they went and did a death match yeah. on, on TNT. Yep. Now, I certainly have seen crazier ones. Sure. And they could have, you know, that was kind of like the baseline level death match. And, you know, you've seen like Alex Cologne and, and Takeda and guys like that take it to further. Right. But that was a real death match. Yeah. And I like the simplicity. I loved it. I mean, I you, you've heard me complain before that like one of the things that tends to take me out of a death match is like too much building. <laughs> yes. There's too much construction going on. Construction of the traps. Yes. And stuff. So, um, yeah. So I thought this one was uh, it was the... bare bones, but like you said, yes, definitely you knew you were seeing a death match. So this is just me, and it's my opinion, mm-hmm. but. Um... As great as some of the deathmatch wrestlers are in the modern era, um, to me, sometimes it's too much. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if you watch, like, Alex Cologne, who is awesomely talented. Right. But, like, uh, the the light tube stuff doesn't mean anything because they do a hundred of them. And he hits himself with one. It's just a spot. Right. It's just a spot. Sure. Um, Like any other spot in a wrestling match. That's what they've turned it into. Mm -hmm. But this reminded me more of like the classic death matches that I used to love with uh, uh, Onita. And in the early days of the death match, where it's just like every time the gimmick happened, whether it's a light tube or exploding barbed wire or, or whatever it is, like the gimmick happening was a big deal. So in this match, like the psychology of it wasn't just like, oh, it's a, 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 a light tube and we can hit each other with them all day. It's no big deal. Right. Like, no, being hit with the light tube was a huge deal. Right. And um, when it happened to either guy, like the crowd responded in a huge way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's um, that was a very savvy way to do it. Yeah. Very old school. And um, especially effective if this is not a match we're going to see over and over and over again on AEW. Because next time around, when you bring out the light tubes, it's less effective. And then the next time after that, even less effective. And pretty soon, like you said, it's just a thing that you do. Yeah, the, the expectation is then that it's going to happen. So, yeah, they, they should be very smart about, I wouldn't do this again for a couple of years mm-hmm. if it were exactly. me. Or if you do it next time, uh, it's a women's match. And then that... Um, you get the the same sensation all right, over again right. because like it or not, like in the mainstream culture, like women hitting each other with glass tubes like that would, would still resonate in a way it wouldn't necessarily if you did gauge Jericho two. Right. Right. I think gauge Jericho two would be le- much less successful than gauge Jericho one. Yeah. I think, I think really gauge anybody yeah. on dynamite if you did it the same way is slightly less effective. So I, I think that um, you could use Nick Gage. I think that's what we've learned here is in scenario scenarios just like this. Mm-hmm. And, just uh, like this, And yeah. we used to see this in wrestling all the time where, like, uh, someone would be mad at someone else in, in, 
in wrestling in the, in the territory, and they'd be they'd say, I, "I've got five thousand dollars for anybody that can come and take Jerry the King Lawler out out here in Memphis, mm-hmm. Mid South Coliseum, and like Stan Hansen or someone will show up as just a short term role mm-hmm. as a badass. They're looking to collect money. Yeah, if you think about it, in a sort of a a lesser sort of way, but that sort of jives with their style. Jericho played that guy in New Japan for a little while. He's the one that would come in, challenge somebody. You'd get gimmicks that you don't normally get in New Japan matches. They were going to be messier. They were probably going to be bloodier. There was, you know, going to be a lot more outside of the ring. And uh, then he'd leave. And then a couple of months later, it'd be time for somebody else to have to face Jericho. So it's like, yes, it's not, you know, it's not the death match in the same way, but he was like, he was, he's the guy who like introduced that stuff. Like you wouldn't have those kinds of matches until Jericho would show up and face somebody. And then you don't have him again for five months, six months. Then he shows up and he faces somebody else. It's like, he's was for a little while that guy. So he could almost be like Nick Gage could be almost like an Andre the Giant kind of figure where it's like in the 70s, like you didn't want to see Andre the Giant every week. Like it gets boring. Right. But like, you know, uh, Vince McMahon Sr. would send him all over the world, short term booking. And like for the the one week that Andre the Giant was in the territory, um, everyone wanted to see Andre right. the Giant because it was special. Yeah. Um, and so I think Nick Gage could be special. Not that he's Andre, but like, you know, um, less is more. Mm-hmm. But... Um, so the the one of the controversies that came out of this, besides like the normal uh, AEW lovers versus AEW haters and uh, people pretending not to like it, even though it was awesome, <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you didn't like it. Like it was awesome. Um, was the the weird kind of coincidence that as Nick Gage was slicing open Jericho's head with a pizza cutter, and Chris Jericho, wrestling legend, is bleeding all over the place. Yeah, he's a good bleeder. They cut immediately to a Domino's pizza commercial <laughs> in which pizza is being sliced. Like, I, I don't even know. Like, I suppose unintentional, but, like, I have no Who idea. Who knows? I don't know if it was unintentional. I mean, what what are the chances that the, that would be the commercial you cut to as he's slicing someone with a pizza cutter? I mean, yeah, it's either a good coincidence or a well a well placed ad. Although Domino's tried to pretend later that maybe maybe they weren't okay with that. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, uh, what, you never know what's real and what's not. Yeah, in, I don't in, know. In the world of pizza advertising or pro wrestling. I mean, they gave the perfect answer. Right. We're examining it, and then people stop talking about it, and then they don't have to talk about it anymore. Right. But what it did get them was a ton of what in the business you call earned media, which is like basically free commercials yeah. for Domino's because people uh, were organically talking about Domino's pizza uh, the whole day. <laughs> That's um, right. You couldn't ask for more than that as an advertiser on a program. Like uh, they could pretend to be angry or whatever. Right. Um, that's what you want, though. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a virality that you could not construct unless they did construct it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if they did, it was super well done. Um, just uh, brilliant, whether it was coincidence or not. It was hilarious. Um, I don't know. I just, like, I'm so happy that AEW is a promotion that is um, 
willing to take chances like that because mm-hmm. it's a chance. Yeah. Like you don't know what's going to happen in those kind of matches. It's true. Like there was the famous match between Gage and actor David Arquette where uh, Arquette got a bad cut. Like, uh, and we've seen other guys get these really, uh, you're messing around with glass and, and things like that. Like, yeah. um, and you're not in full control of what happens to it once it breaks. Yeah. And so we've seen people cut like, you know, deeply into their arms, mm-hmm. like, um, and, and bad I've, things happen. I'm pretty sure that night we saw somebody get accidentally a worst, a worse injury than, than came out of that match. And yeah, the, you if, honestly just don't ever really know what's going right. to happen. But it, it's a big chance because you don't really know what the response was going to be to a match like that on national television. Mm-hmm. But they took the risk. Sure. And I feel like it paid off. The, I, the I ratings were strong. I felt like the reaction was mostly positive from the the fans. You can expect the negative reaction from, from Jim Cornette's and the people who always have a negative reaction. Like um, there would be very little at this point that you they wouldn't have a fake negative reaction to, right? <laughs> um, Seems like it. So I, I don't give that much stock. But I, I don't know. My timeline has a lot of AEW talk on it, and it mostly felt like Wow, that was a pretty incredible thing that happened. I would say the, I, uh, among uh, the people that I interacted with, m- the first sentiment was, wow, I can't believe they really did the thing. Um, you know, maybe not everyone loved it. It wasn't the, the style that everybody enjoys. But I, I do think they appreciated, like you said, taking the chance and really doing it and not coming out and, and, and you know, doing sort of what I thought they might do, which is like, you know, try to build Nick Gage up as this guy who does all this really dangerous stuff and then just like do some of the same stuff we always see with tables and chairs and the bat and whatnot. Um, I saw mostly people being really impressed that they took, they took the chance and they just really did it. Yeah. So I, I was really happy. Um, I'm not even really upset necessarily that we didn't get to go. Because it was it was so well done on television, right? That I didn't feel like I missed much. No, no, it was it was still great to see it at home. I mean, I'm sure we would have loved it there too, and the whole experience of being there. But plans change. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. Well, that was our top five. Do we have questions? We do. I put out a bunch of questions, and people responded. So now we have to answer them. All right. All right. Well, the first question comes from Danny Cheeseburger, one of our favorite listeners. Okay. You're all favorite listeners, of course. (laughs) But uh, Danny asks a a lot of questions and engages with us a lot. And it has a topical question. Uh, If we made a suicide squad of wrestlers with goofy gimmicks or heels, uh, who would they be? So who would be in your wrestling suicide squad? Okay. So when we thought about this, we thought about the kind of archetypes that, you know, you, you, you have to... You need a, a team of people that have different skills and different personalities. You can't just get all big guys and everybody just goes in there punching, right? So first thing we thought of is like, who's going to get the team together? Because it has to be somebody that can talk people into... Doing things they probably are not in their best interest. Exactly. But also who has, uh, like Amanda Waller... Um, sort of a mean enough streak to blackmail them into it. 
Right. So the the person that we came up with was Paul Heyman, who could not only like convince people to join the Suicide Squad and do crazy things, but based on what I've heard in the industry, he could probably convince them to pay for the Suicide Squad on their credit cards <laughs> with the hope that he'd pay them back. So I think uh, Paul would be good. He can talk anybody into anything is what you're saying. Pretty much, yes. All right. And then, so then you have to have a leader. And this requires somebody that, you know, can keep this group together, keep them on track. Um, So this is maybe not, you're not looking for your goofy gimmick guy. Yeah, this is the serious character. Yes. So my suggestion was you need Dean Malenko. Yes, the Iceman Dean Malenko is kind of perfect in this, uh, uh, the, the good guy amongst uh, all of the ne'er-do-wells. He, he's the true believer. Uh, very serious. Uh, the other person I thought of potentially was Lance Storm, and he could pull this off if you couldn't get Malenko to do it for some reason. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that, that that's a good choice. Now, when you said, when he asked about... Um... Goofy gimmicks. The first thing that came to my mind is <clears throat> New Japan's Master Watto. <laughs> it doesn't get much goofier than that. Yeah, I mean, from the look and then the karate poses and everything, I thought he would be fantastic as, like, the really enthusiastic, earnest martial arts guy who just, like, eats it immediately yeah. as soon as they get off the helicopter or whatever. Master Watto does not make it out of the first five minutes of this movie. Um, <laughs> you also need some freak shows. Uh, so, like, in in the current version of the Suicide Squad, they had a weasel. They had a, a some kind of uh, giant talking shark uh, voiced by Sylvester Stallone, which was pretty funny. But He was?! He was voiced by Rocky? I think so. Oh my god, I never even noticed. Well, now we'll have to double check that. Um, we won't, because we don't do facts, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, that was Rocky. Holy crap! Um, so, like, the wrestling version of that could be, like, the gobbledy gooker. Oh, right. Like, the weird uh, turkey <laughs> that came out of an egg. Maybe it was a chicken. I don't remember. But that kind of character. I hope he has some skills. Does he well, have some skills? He was Hector Guerrero. Oh, okay. So, I mean, he had some wrestling skills. All right, definite skills. But All that, right. that was definitely a bomb. Okay. But wrestling has this kind of characters, so um, it, it works out. Um, you also need a woman, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I said. I said, you need, um, you're going to need a woman. She needs to be capable, right? But at the same time, you have to have some sex appeal because sometimes the plan requires sex appeal. So, um, we both came up with Lita. Yeah, Lita would be awesome. Crazy. Yes. Very capable, has sex appeal. Yeah, there's an element of crazy. Like, everyone in the Suicide Squad should have a crazy look in their eye. Um, and so that's how I, I thought Sabu would be a natural. A natural. Not only is he, like, was so dangerous that he had to be, like, uh, wheeled to the to the ring in, in like, a Hannibal Lecter get up <laughs> with, like, a straitjacket. Like, so he's Sabu, but also he's Sabu. He's crazy. Like, yeah. if you need someone to who's willing to take it to the extreme, um, who better than Sabu for your suicide squad? And so now, I mean, it's, it's wrestling. So obviously you have a lot of people who excel in fake hand-to-hand combat, but also you're going to need an explosives guy, right? I mean, you can't 
you can't put together a team and, and have nobody know how to use explosives. All right, so who you got? I Actually, I think you went with somebody that I was not familiar with. Like Mr. Pogo? Oh, yeah, Mr. Pogo from <laughs> FMW and Wing, one of the great rivals of Onita. Like, he definitely knows his way around the exploding barbed wire and minefields. So he's a, he's the guy. Plus, he wears, like, face makeup. So... <laughs> That, that's then he'll the, fit right in. Yeah, so that's the thing about Suicide Squad. It's like, it, it's not like Superman and Batman. These are like C or D tier characters. So you don't take Onita for the Suicide Squad. Every single time you take I Mr. see, Pogo. I know every single time I see this group in all of its different iterations, and I just think, well, thank God they don't need a plan where they can like blend in anywhere. <laughs> like. If that happens, I don't know who they're going to go pick out of the prisons because apparently they're, they don't have any uh, – there's nobody they can choose from that could just be like, you know, pretend to be the guy who infiltrates the corporation or whatever. Like, so for in, – in wrestling, like, you know, you, you don't – like uh, The Rock and Ric Flair are not in the Suicide Squad. No. Ironically, John Cena – in a wrestling context is not in the suicide squad, <laughs> although he was in the actual suicide squad. Um, you need a strong man. Great Kali is the kind of, uh, weird looking oddity kind of, uh, guy that I think that could work as the suicide squad member. And yeah, I think you need a female strong woman just, you know, for diversity's sake. And well, this is a big team you've put together. I, this must be quite the plan. We're going to kill a lot, of, a lot of them dead immediately. <laughs> like I, I glacier's got to be in it, but he dies soon. Um, I, so, um, I don't know, maybe Jordan Grace could be in it too, maybe too normie. A, I was going to say maybe a little, a little too, Aja um, Khan. yeah, see that that's bigger. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would maybe be a, a little closer to suicide squad. And so the final member that you have to have is like the kind of grizzled, capable, but older person who's just like, oh, I'm too old for this shit. Um, <laughs> That's you know you need that in, okay. in every Suicide Squad. Okay, and uh, I think who better in wrestling than the crazy old man Terry Funk? Oh, oh wow, yeah, you've got to have yes. Also because he just has that that level of of craziness and a, just a whole variety of skills. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so that's our Suicide Squad, and maybe someone could do better. But uh, that was fun. <laughs> we we spent a long time talking about that. I'm sure we had better stuff, but like uh, that that was a conversation that raged for a while. <laughs> so thanks to Danny Cheeseburger for that, and uh, you know helping us find a way to spend an evening talking about <laughs> Wrestling Suicide Squad. He also has a kind of a, a question he's asked, he asked last week, and we didn't answer very well. Okay. Um, and he wanted you to figure out a potential three may three way main event, um, a multi promotion main event for all out. Right. And um, there's Edgar E has asked a question that might kind of fit into that. Okay. Which would is would AEW hot shot the Impact title to Christian to um, introduce a seed of doubt for Kenny that Kenny match it all out for the AEW title. So. Um, you have a potential match with Christian. Mm -hmm. Is that a match that could be turned into a three-way dance? Yeah. So I don't know what they're doing. Because it doesn't feel. I don't really like a understand this match, right? at all. It like, does. It feels like a match that you would put on TV. Mm -hmm. The first rampage. Oh, so last uh, podcast or the podcast before last, I 
I actually, we were talking about, you know, when we'd get Hangman versus Kenny and when Hangman would actually take the belt off of him. And I suggested that, you know, people were suggesting that it's not going to be at all out. It's going to be Christian at all out because he's the number one contender or whatever. And, and I actually suggested like, I could see Christian and Kenny for the impact belt on dynamite, but I don't see that. I don't, I don't see Christian and Kenny as a, as a pay-per-view match. And now they've said that's what we're going to get at, at all out. And to, to just absolute groans there in the, in the auditorium, in the arena. Yeah. I mean, so it doesn't seem like it's going well when the, the people in the building are chanting, uh, for, for CM, CM Punk, Punk and, and for Daniel, Daniel Bryan. Bryan. Like, like uh, that's not, uh, I mean, there was an audible groan when they announced that, that, that he, that Christian was going to face is, Kenny for the AEW title at all out. Because of course we, we all love Christian. Um, as like longtime fans, yeah, but it's like, like not personal, right? But um, <laughs> it doesn't feel like uh, that big a match, and it certainly doesn't feel like a big enough match that you would run it twice WWE style. Yeah, and... it's it's very weird. It has me very confused. I part of me is saying like, well, I I think maybe that that's not what we're going to get all out and there's a surprise coming. And then part of me just says, well, no, you just hope there is. And right. maybe they're just, we're just going to get uh, Christian and Kenny twice. I, I feel like if we are going to get them twice, there's just seems almost no way that he, that Christian doesn't win the impact title uh, at rampage because if he loses, how do you did turn around and give him a shot at a bigger belt at the next pay-per-view? It makes no sense whatsoever, but there's just so much swirling doubt because of all the rumors, because of all the available talent out there in the world, and, and you know the it's been widely speculated and reported. I use that in quote marks because reported in a wrestling sense, which is with no sources, and right? No actual identifiable information. Um, that CM Punk is going to show up in Chicago. Um, for television as well as the the pay-per-view, who knows? Mm -hmm. Daniel Bryan is, of course, a a free agent. You have Braun Strowman and all kinds of people out there lurking around as uh, potential people that they could bring in. Um, Maybe Adam Cole is going to be available. Nobody really knows. Right, right. So um, every one of those seems like a better option than Christian as a pay-per-view main event. And, I mean... Okay. I'm not sure any one of them sounds like a better option than what we all hoped we were going to get at All Out. We we had Hangman Page, and maybe they're doing a longer story and a a slow burn. As we've said, we've got to have faith in them. Right. Because they've typically delivered. And just like when you say that way, like, you know, I feel like they're going to deliver on the Hangman story because they don't generally let us down. Right. And it Um, doesn't really, this doesn't veer too much from my assumption that we would not have Hangman win it all out. We wouldn't see him win until, uh, you know, further down the line. Right, maybe but full thought gear. at least there'd be a match. But um, at the same time, they also have never not delivered a big pay-per-view match. Right. So if this is their match, it's really their first huge misstep in where I don't think they have a finger on the pulse at all because I don't see any interest in... Kenny Omega no. and Christian. And of course they have better metrics and they know more than we do, but I, I, I follow it pretty closely. 
uh, AEW fandom, and I, I've never, I, I don't know anyone that is excited for this match. Well, so now we have Kenny defending the Impact Belt on Rampage against Christian, and then turning around, I think the very next night, and defending his AAA belt against Andrade. So, to answer Danny Cheeseburger's question, I suppose if you were, if you know, he's asking about a potential uh, a three-way main event. I suppose you could find a way to uh, get the three of them in the ring for all the belts. So is the Andrade um, match for the AAA title before All Out? Yes, it's this weekend. Okay, so um, potentially Kenny could lose both of his... He could potentially lose both sec- belts this weekend. His second and third belts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he could face the the guys who beat him in a triple th- threat match. For all the belts. For all the belts. Or for just AEW, if those other promotions want to keep their belts. Right. Um, I don't. Think Again, not I, a better option. <laughs> I don't think adding Andrade does that much. I, I don't sense the excitement. Um and there's all the the reports from the the hardcore Mexican fans that um, basically you're saying Andrade doesn't seem to have it. No, the, the no. The passion or the 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 work. Right. Like he's not delivering what he used to be able to do. Um, so I don't know. Um, I I don't like the change. <laughs> I like the hangman story, and I think that. Um, even when he's not the world champion, beating Kenny Omega in a singles match is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it means it would mean a lot to a wrestler. I don't think that's a, a an honor necessarily, or a, a thing that Christian needs. Right. As a you know a guy who was retired and is going to be retired again soon. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you give that to Christian instead of one of the rising stars in the promotion? I don't know. Uh, if he really is going to beat Kenny Omega, I, I don't understand that at all. I don't like that. And if and if he's not going to beat Kenny Omega, why are we going to get a second match on a pay-per-view? So the whole thing is very confusing to me, and we'll just have to, to see it play out. But, I mean, one of the things that we, we know, we don't know, but we can intuit based on all their decision-making and what they do in the media and how they promote these things mm-hmm. is that the um, – the ex WWE acts that they have on their show do numbers for them. Mm-hmm. Whether it's sur- internet search or social or, or ratings, quarter hours, I'm not sure what all their metrics are. I'm sure they have more than we do. Right. But it must be because they, they heavily push them. Right. Whether it's Jericho or Miro or Sting, um, Matt Hardy, even mm-hmm. like the, the older wrestlers, um, who have names from back when wrestling was popular, get get um, must do do business for them, and so maybe they do see this Christian thing as a bigger match than our subset of hardcore fans who are here because we fell in love with the original AEW wrestlers. Like a lot of us are here because we watched Being the Elite, right? And we watched All In, and we were like, "Wow, these guys are doing something special. I want to be a part of this." Like they're, they're um, reinventing wrestling. They really are going to run another national promotion. I want to be here. I want to see like the spirit of indie wrestling brought to national TV. Like that's what brought a lot of us in. Right. Um, Let me ask you a question. One of the things we talked about is that maybe the change of plans is all sort of 
around the idea that the big thing at All Out is going to be, say, one of these big WWE acts, CM Punk or Daniel Bryan, being at that show, having a match on that show. And so rather than blow your your big um, hard-fought story of Hangman and Kenny at a pay-per-view where all the press, like you, you, like you said, your earned press is going to be talking about CM Punk showing up and being back in wrestling or Daniel Bryan being a surprise or something like that, that they'll push that off till later. But then my question is, is that if that means that you have a lesser match for your title that people are not excited about, is that worse? Would it have been better to showcase at least a first match between Hangman and Kenny Omega on the show that was also being talked about because CM Punk was there or Daniel Bryan was there? Yeah, so it's yeah, it's an interesting question. So I, I think that the premise that you're getting at is that like someone there maybe is thinking that all the air is going to be sucked out of the room by the presence of CM mm-hmm. Punk or Daniel Bryan. And that's what all the websites will be writing up the next day. Is right. CM Punk appears at AEW uh, All Out or whatever. Daniel Bryan, whoever it is. Right. Like that's what the story is. Mm-hmm. And then they don't want Kenny and Hangman to be relegated to the second or third story. Right. So maybe that's the reason that they pushed it off. Thinking the idea is that, that um, you're saving it. You're mm-hmm. rescuing it right. from being ignored. Um, I, I can understand that to an extent. And maybe also they're thinking, um, hey, CM Punk's going to show up here. We're going to get viewers. that Regardless. No, we're going to get viewers who have never seen this before. Never really given it a chance. Um, they're not going to know the Kenny Hangman story necessarily. right? And they're going to probably be more comfortable with Christian. They're mm-hmm. going to be familiar with who he is and his, basically his deal. So maybe that's what they're, they're thinking. These outsider fans are going to, would, would feel more at home with Christian in, in, in the big match. And, and they're still counting on Kenny being able to deliver a Kenny match with Christian. Right. So, um, as Don Callis says, he'll give you that yeah, he'll uh, help you get that five star match you've always wanted. Right. So there, <laughs> there you have it. So um, I, I don't really know. I'm not connected in enough to to know what they're thinking or what's going on. Well, we're about to find out. We're about to find out. <laughs> All right. So Werewolf Jones asks, um, "What was the moment watching wrestling that made you feel shame the most?" Um. So my first thought was that people who watched wrestling in the era that I first started watching wrestling might all have a similar moment. And that was that I continued to watch a wrestling show after Owen Hart died. That still feels a little shameful to me. Um, I, I mean... Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy to think that uh, Owen fell fell to his death, um, and then they're just like, the show went on. We're gonna do some more wrestling though, 
and people continue to watch. I continued to watch. Um, yeah, I would say that that's probably the, that was, that's probably the moment where, I mean, that's the moment I still feel most shameful about and just sort of shake my head. Yeah, that, that's a, a really bad one. Um, one that that I think about as like just being kind of like shame in the sense of like embarrassment and um, icky factor was uh, the early stories between Triple H and Stephanie McMahon where um, you know they've had to kind of like write out some of the their their origin story yeah because you know their relationship on television starts with him uh, drugging her yeah marrying her against her will and then like talking about basically raping her yeah i mean i still i mean i still we've we've talked about this before on the podcast like i love stephanie and triple h and i just so wish that that wasn't a part of of their history like i i wish they could erase it from my mind <laughs> yeah it's really bad in in retrospect it was bad at the time. It was it was disgusting at mm-hmm. the time. Uh, it was the kind of line that they crossed a lot. Yes, over and over and over again. Uh, back in the olden days. So um, there's a lot that we could, you could put on that list of shame, but those are two um, pretty bad ones. So uh, Akira, the the wrestler who we oh yeah we've seen in death matches. Yeah, and, yeah. Atticus Kogar and others and stuff. Yes, yeah. Um, he asked, uh, with the the recent death match on AEW, uh, do you see bigger companies willing to go extreme? Not in, not just in myself, but people like Schlack and JWM, Reed Bentley, even Kasaya or Takeda on national TV could be wild and different. Um, so we talked a little bit about that. Um, I, I I mean I don't know I I'm kind of well at this point there aren't a lot of bigger companies than AEW yeah I mean, so if you're talking about WWE I'd say no because they have spent a lot of time um, cultivating you know their image their what sports entertainment is to them and stuff so I don't see that yeah but you know we would have said the same thing uh, in the the nineties too. Where it's like, you know, they had cultivated a very similar kind of like family friendly, were were wholesome entertainment with Hulk Hogan and, and acts like that. Mm-hmm. And then just did a complete one, 180 into yeah. the Attitude Era. And they do have so many different programs that, that they could... I think decide you're, you're to go right more, that it would be hard go to, edgier with one of, one of their many programs. But here's the thing too, um, with WWE. Mm-hmm. Like they're successful... In the sense that they're making a lot of money. Right. But also their audience is depleting. It's true. In pretty dramatic and um, what should be scary ways. Mm-hmm. And so at, at some point, um, maybe it's after the family doesn't own it anymore and some hedge fund or, uh, you know, big media conglomerate owns it. Maybe someone eventually says, like, look, we got to try something different. Mm-hmm. This isn't working. And uh, they go that opposite direction. And so you could see, I could see a scenario where like instead of like Hell in the Cell being the big dangerous match that they promote every year. Right. They, the death matches. Yeah. Um, you know, they've, they, they kind of like went 
sort of that direction when they had the hardcore title and Mick Foley was there and they're doing all these crazy stunts. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm just saying it's not totally unheard of. No, I know. So, um, and then there's the idea of like, what if um, GCW or one of these other big indies like takes that next ECW kind of step where they've got some national television. Right. They, they get enough buzz with their kind of like underground dangerous feel, the mm-hmm. Nick Gage feel. Right. The feeling that he brought to Dynamite. Um, there's a traditionally a group of wrestling fans that crave that feeling. Uh, I would be one of them, right? Like, right. Yeah, I want to I wanna see something that feels a little repulsive, a little underground, a little like I, my, I, my mom can't come and watch this. Right, right. Like, you know, there's wrestling's not so necessarily always supposed to be something you can take the family right. to. Right, yeah. Like, I want to watch some wrestling that I would never take the kids to. <laughs> right. Right, you know, like uh, there's different kinds of wrestling. I don't know why, but that just made me think of uh, DDT getting their television contract and then they had like one show and, you know, Dino Moon, the whole audience, and they were like, wait, wait, that's not what we wanted. And you're just like, but wait, he does that every show. What did you want? And I just imagine that with like somebody deciding to give uh, GCW like a slot and then just being like, whoa, hold up. Uh, We didn't watch it first. (laughs) But then there's also the thing like we were talking about before is like, so the minute that you take a death match to WWE, uh, is it? Does it feel edgy anymore? It's corporate. It's a corporate cor- death match. Corporate death match. Oh That's my! That's what you get. Um, so yeah, I, I I would almost rather see. Well, that you're talking as a fan, but then it's kind of like okay, but do now these death match wrestlers get bigger checks? Because then in that case, it's like all right, spread it around. Yeah, yeah. Of course, for them, <laughs> it would be great. I mean, the best case scenario, I think, is that someone that. Um, a company like GCW or, or, or someone else that um, that understands and, and appreciates it and, and loves the style um, grows into that national role. I think that if you tried to um, let WWE do it, they'd screw it up like, like they do with everything else. So I'd rather see like it, it grow up from a grassroots mm-hmm. movement into something bigger than try to like insert it into a big show. Yeah. Um, where they wouldn't do it right. Reminding me of like New Japan trying to bring in Onita and, and never 100% getting it right. Yeah. So um, I, I don't think we answered that question well. <laughs> <laughs> but we talked about it. Um, so TJ asks, Masters of the Universe and Transformers got the Netflix remake, which I have seen some chatter about, but I've not actually watched. No, I haven't either. Um, what cartoon from the 80s needs that next? Is there a cartoon that could uh, kind of be transformed for a modern age? This is, um, they rebooted them as cartoons, not live, not live action, because I know they've done some live action stuff with stuff that I used to watch as cartoons. So these are just rebooted cartoons? I think so. Hmm. Well, I don't, I'm always up for G.I. Joe. Like a good kind of modern... Yeah. Grittier kind of, are we doing the right thing in the mission kind of G.I. Joe or like a full on patriotic, uh, let's well, crush America's I think for, enemies. I think for modern times, probably, yes, you would, you would make it a little bit, 
a little less black and white and also like how about instead of just like one female on each side we have a, a better representation of armed forces yeah that's an, an interesting dilemma as the 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 actual military struggles with this like you know obviously there's a lot of women in the in the the military you were one of them but um they're still mostly relegated to support roles um women in direct combat units is still um a new and uh scary place for a lot of these soldiers so um i don't know maybe that in in fiction it could be more they could push forward yeah so gi joe i like you know what i always liked uh, and i they made a movie about it and i you know not so great uh Jim and the Holograms was such a cool show when I was They made a, kid. a movie of Jim and the Holograms? Like a live action one. Wow. It's whack. <laughs> but the, the cartoon was really good. Yeah, I love uh, the cartoon. That one could be done again. Oh, I'd, yeah. I'd like to see it. Yeah, modernize the music. Yeah. Like, yeah, all and kinds some of stuff. Of the more adult themes. So that's basically, like, from, from my understanding, it's like they didn't make these kids' cartoons. They basically made versions of Masters of the Universe and Transformers for people who watched Used them to like it when they were kids. Want to see more now. Right. Like adult cartoons. So, <laughs> they um, could have aged He-Man. Yeah. What's old He-Man up to? Like a bald He-Man. <laughs> He's got the pot belly. <laughs> Cringer just won't even get up. Oh, we're on like Cringer 4 or something. <laughs> <laughs> At least. Uh, I don't know what they did, but uh, probably not that, but that would have been funny. All right. So Zeke Schwab asks, after watching a bunch of 80s wrestling matches for the first time, uh, they had a much more almost shoot fight feel compared to more contemporary matches. Uh, Coming from your MMA background, do you feel that modern matches uh, need to change in uh, how they react to moves, Um, I guess, to be more of the 80s style? you've, You've seen both. What do you think? Um, I would abs- I would love to see that come back because partly that would be so different, you know, and I like to see a whole variety of styles. So, you know, I've, we've discussed this before, watching some indie shows, seeing some guys who come up who have a little more retro feel and just being so afraid that the, the sort of modern landscape of wrestling is going to kind of beat that out of them. And make them, you know, fit in, you know, cookie cutter, look more like modern wrestling. And I'm like, I hope they really hold on to that, to that retro feel because we need that. We, there's too many same, same. We, we need, um, something old to come back again. Right. (laughs) So like, uh, the guy, uh, a guy that I have been in the message board wars with for years named Hollinger was talking on Twitter about like, you know, the cooperative nature of some of the modern wrestling and how they like feed into each other's moves. And then we're talking about how like you'll see a guy reach out his hand for the opponent to take and do mm-hmm. a move on oh, yeah. with. Um, I hate that. I hate that. He hates that. Every old school fan hates that. Yes. And that's part of what they did much better in the 80s. Like we were talking about with shoot style before is like you at least 
give us the illusion that it's a contest mm-hmm. and you're not like doing a, 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 a an exhibition of, yeah like, that's a, a dance. struggle it's, it's a struggle yeah, it's a, there's a struggle to it <laughs> it's not a, a synchronized uh, gymnastics competition right and uh, you know i don't want to use the language of like the wrestling haters but like there you have to find the middle ground between modern high spots and like these really like um tightly constructed matches with these really elaborate finishes that that categorizes like today's style um you can keep that to an extent well but also like at least make the effort to make it look like there's a struggle in a contest mm-hmm. and that you're actually competing in a fake athletic event mm-hmm. that's what wrestling is you're pretending that you're fighting another person to see who's uh, the better fighter like so that's what you're doing and if everything is so obviously cooperative um it doesn't even really feel like that anymore so i understand what he's saying like right wrestling today is better in many ways but it, it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like old wrestling right he actually had another question zeke had another question really yeah um he, he put this in as his second question but it said um, due to a strong indie scene and unstable job security, is WWE going to have to search for talent within other sports for NXT? And that's kind of interesting because they tend to do that more um, than than we've seen with other promotions like Impact in the past or whatever. Like reaching into... Um, Old football players used to be a, a kind of a, a staple in WWE. Sure, yeah, and it's still they still recruit those athletes for NXT. Uh, I think that's maybe part of the the battle that's going mm-hmm. on over NXT right now is between like the the people who want the legitimate big strong uh, athletes. Vince. Vince and, and some of his proxies, <laughs> right? Because uh, yeah. they, they've had a lot of monetary success with right. people that look like that. Mm-hmm. And the and the folks that want the established independent wrestlers, um, and maybe those two things don't always mix together super well. Right. So, um, and that goes back to like, is NXT a place to develop wrestlers or is it a third brand and a TV show right. in which you require polished performers. Mm-hmm. Those are two different, really different missions. Yes, they are. And so if WWE um, thinks it's more valuable to concentrate on the performance center part of NXT, uh, I don't think they're necessarily wrong to recruit athletes mm-hmm. from other sports. Um, this is a, a problem, of course, they created for themselves by intentionally and aggressively putting everyone else out of business. Right. So that there is, you know, there there aren't all these repositories of uh, talented professional wrestlers waiting for a big opportunity. Uh, wrestling like that doesn't really exist. And the way that, where it does exist on the, the independent scene are apparently the kind of wrestlers that you don't really want. They don't fit that superhero mold right. that you want. Exactly. Like, you know, we love Candace and Johnny. Mm-hmm. We saw them at Disney. There's nothing superhero about them. <laughs> the way, like, if you saw Hulk Hogan, you'd be like, wow. Yeah. That guy looks like a superhero. Uh, Johnny Gargano looks like, wow, that guy's the same height as my wife. <laughs> like, 
it's not that's just a fact like um so i i understand if you want one the other's not fully satisfying and it vice versa like for the people who like the the work rate into mm-hmm. any scene they're not gonna like the the big f- football player right the same way well if the lesson that they've learned is that maybe um competing directly uh with AEW to try to push them out of business was just is just not happening um maybe we will see them go strongly in the other direction and and use NXT as a place to develop these athletes from other arenas and get them ready uh to be wrestling performers so it's interesting because WWE hasn't done nearly as much uh with AEW to compete hard the way they have in the past with other promotions. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if Vince or the people around him kind of understand that like, um, some of their problem can be solved by AEW, like AEW spending a lot of time, effort, money, uh, building stars that WWE can then poach is, uh, very helpful interesting much the same way that they poached all the great territory stars in the day um so uh they were on the other side of that some in the 90s when like hogan and savage and hall and nash went over to wcw right but um so they've seen how that works and i think it's actually AEW in five years uh will be a boon for wwe because they will have built a certain level of star that WWE can take and just slot right in. So, um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. So Richie 11 PM, our great, uh, Pokemon go friend, uh, asks, uh, where did you go for tape trading back in the day? Did you get tapes based on specific wrestlers, matches or promotions? <laughs> yes. All, all of the above. <laughs> um, so yeah, tape trading of course was the, um, before the internet, like we are, people who lived before the internet oh my god can you believe that i don't know how we Um, did it (laughs) (laughs) it really is hard to remember like exactly how things how would i don't it's like how did you reserve a hotel room before the internet i honestly don't remember yeah like you would have to go to the library and get like a phone book my parents when we would travel they would then steal phone books from the area where we traveled. So they would have them at home to then call and make reservations for future trips. But how did you find places? Like, I, I, I everything <laughs> is crazy. Uh, I can remember having an atlas in my car. Yeah. And, like, I can remember, like, giving you directions from the map or whatever. But, like, it, it just seems so foreign. I just, I can't believe how, how much... Uh, how much our lives changed and we just sort of forgotten how to survive. So literally we would watch wrestling from outside our area, um, by someone would record it on a VHS tape and put it in the mail (laughs) and you would get it (laughs) eventually. (laughs) Eventually. Um, so yeah, it was a crazy thing. And I had thousands of these tapes, Mm -hmm. uh, embarrassingly enough. And so, yeah, the, uh, there's different kinds of trading. So some of the stuff you just had to purchase, um, especially first starting out when you, when the direct trade between you and someone else was hard when you didn't have a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And so you would have to purchase things. Like my go-to guy was a guy named Jeff Lynch, um, who has the probably still has the biggest collection I've I've ever seen of Japanese wrestling. Someone in Japan basically tapes everything. He has everything, and um, he's very expensive because he has everything, and he's consistent and he delivers in good quality. So typically, what you would do, you'd have to make a choice. Um, would you order a tape in high quality in which you only get two hours? Or would you say, you know what, I'm going to live dangerously. Let's put eight hours on that tape. And then it's like you got all those lines all over the screen and stuff. Like, Everyone's a little bit fuzzy. Yeah. So that, that's a choice you have to make. Like, do I want to know what the people look like? Or am I just happy watching the blurs uh, fighting each other? And then, you know, sometimes people would make these compilation tapes of specific wrestlers. Um, that existed for sure. Promotions existed. Like, uh, a lot of people were, would seek out ECW, which wasn't available in, in every market. And so, um, that was one way that I built my collection pretty well because we had access to ECW. Mm -hmm. I would make copies of it and I could use that as trading material. So, um. Uh, and then if you lived in a big city that had a, a large uh, Japanese population, um, you could go to their uh, Japanese grocery stores. It was, this was big in New York and San Francisco and in Atlanta, mm -hmm. which is where we would go. Right. And there you could find like the weekly All Japan Pro Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan Women's uh, television. Mm -hmm. And they would rent these to you. Yep. Uh, they would look at you like you were crazy. Yep. Because <laughs> you would definitely be the only foreigners in there. Um, they would give you a form uh, to keep on file of all your information, and you just had to guess what you were supposed to put on every line. <laughs> so normally what would happen is you'd go to a place, and uh, eventually they would send out like a 10-year-old kid <laughs> to, to come and talk to you in English and try to figure out what you wanted. Um, that was how it worked. So they had, that's where you would get like the, the new Japan and all Japan stuff. And they also had like commercial tapes from like, uh, the, some of the, the more exotic stuff like that wasn't on weekly television, but you could get an FMW tape for the death matches or you could get, uh, K1 kickboxing and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know. Um, there were many sources. Yeah. You had to be resourceful. Yeah. But like, so the big, the big, uh, Famous traders of my time were Jeff Lynch, um, Bob Barnett, who was a California lawyer who really loved wrestling, and um, John McAdam, who had all the 80s stuff, but in questionable quality sometimes. Gotcha. Uh, that was where Tony Khan uh, got some of his earliest tapes, apparently. He, was, he did the website for John McAdam. And I guess wow. got access to, to tapes that way. Oh, so, very cool. It's a very small world, <laughs> this wrestling business. So, um, yeah, I'd, I mean, there's just like, there was such a pleasure in receiving a package yeah. in the mail and it containing tapes of pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just really, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, it's so much easier today. The quality is so much better, of course, for the modern stuff. Mm -hmm. Um They'll never know the struggle, though. No, there's there's like a there's a <laughs> pleasure in in like uh, in the search in the journey. Yeah. Towards finding these tapes. That I you definitely know. think that 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 it was a struggle. Um, 
I think that's part of the reason that um, you had the the not necessarily so friendly a hardcore wrestling community um, get you know get started in the early days of the internet. Like you guys felt like you had earned your spots and your ability to have opinions. You mean like and, the, the gatekeeping? Yes, stuff. the gatekeeping. I, I feel like that was, uh, I think that definitely sort of um, helped to create that kind of attitude. Because you guys had put a lot of effort into, you know, being able to, to find and watch everything that you had seen. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely different. <laughs> like, uh, you know, um, and I love that new people are watching wrestling and learning a lot about wrestling and having opinions about wrestling, but you know, the level of commitment, right, is is different. Like if you, I mean, it was like earning degrees. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I wanted to learn about Minami Toyota, I had to buy hundreds of dollars or or like find people on the internet to exchange goods with, mm-hmm. um, to to get some tapes. Yeah, that that had her on them. And then kind of like form an opinion based on watching him. Like I didn't just put her name into YouTube and like find a thousand things. It's like a certification. Don't talk to me about my Nami Toyota until you've put in this many hours, till you have this many credits. Right. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the credits come so easily now. Yes. Like, but, um, which is good. Yeah. But also like, I don't know. You, you you put more, you feel more about something I think when you put that much of yourself and your time and your energy into it. So um, I think that's partly why some of these older like online wrestling fans are so passionate and feel so strongly about yeah. it is because um, we really had to devote a lot. <laughs> you really had to <laughs> devote a lot to get like your hands on a lot of Japanese wrestling in the nineteen in, in the mid nineteen nineties. Yeah, like you know it wasn't. You had to really like wrestling right. to do it. Like it's not it's not a casual thing where you're just like, oh, I think I like wrestling. You know, let me see what this is about. Like, right. no, like you had to have loved wrestling. Right. Wrestling. Like now it's like, oh, have you seen this classic match? Let me dig through my tapes, and I'm like, oh, got it on Daily Motion. Let's watch. <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, it happens a lot, but um, <laughs> yeah. So no one did it unless you really loved wrestling. So. Um, which we do so <laughs> all right so anthony lanya asks lots of big names being released um fantasy booking always seems to put them in AEW, but um he wants to know if there's one person out of all the people that have been released lately that really needs to make that move immediately like if you could pick one person and put them into AEW right now of the people who have actually been released? I guess of people who are available. I mean, I'm... No, I, I don't... Uh, I'm not interested. <laughs> no, 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 none of the names released have uh, have interested me. Um, I, I kind of feel the same way. As I'm not necessarily opposed to, to all of them, but I'm not... I'm not keen on it. So the other day I was looking on Twitter and uh, Baron Corbin was trending and I was like, oh, wait, has he been released? Like, I could get excited about that, but um, no, so far, like, I, no. Yeah, so I like AEW as it is. I like a lot of the performers on AEW who have 
uh, not gotten the opportunities that they probably should have. Mm -hmm. So it's like I'd like to see them do uh, work with what they have a little bit more. Yeah. There's going to be a bunch of opportunities coming open, and I think that's probably why they're thinking we've got to sign a bunch of people. We've got this new show. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're. I mean, we we've got this these YouTube opportunities, um, but there's also like underutilized acts. Right. That that we just don't see as much as, as we should. Like when was the last time Sammy Guevara wrestled? You know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it can be weeks. Yeah. Weeks between seeing some of these people, I'd rather see some of their, their talent more often mm-hmm. than see another name or two into the mix. And uh, I don't, I don't count the matches on the YouTube shows where they, you know, predictably squash someone that you might never ever see again like i'm talking about dynamite and when rampage starts rampage and the pay-per-views i i feel like if it's if it's not there uh, it's not real it doesn't count the same way (laughs) like you know it's it's cool i i watched some of it yeah um but like beating like the students from qt marshall school is not ideally what you want to see right as the extent of the work from yes, like a exactly. top level professional wrestler. That's not, no, no one wants that. I mean, basically I think of it the same way every time they release someone and people start saying, Oh, they'll go to AEW and do something great over there. Is I just think, would I like to see this person more than I want to see the folks that are already in AEW? Almost never has that answer been yes. So no. Not not really that interested. Yeah, um, so that kind of relates to the, the next question from Justin Stormland, which is, am I wrong for not wanting to see Adam Cole in AEW? That doesn't interest me. I mean... I like Adam Cole, and I'm sure he'd be fine. Well, there every... are a lot of Adam Coles in AEW already. Yes. So that's the thing about <laughs> anyone that you sign. Like, you have to think, would they be better in the role they're best suited for than the person AEW already has in that role. Right. That's the the question. Mm -hmm. Because there are limited slots. Obviously, for me, that answer in AEW is no. (laughs) No, he would not be better than the already, uh, than the Adam Cole in that they already have in AEW. So, no, of course not. And I like Adam Cole. I think he's great. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with Adam Cole. But there's no there you there's no potential matchup that I'm thinking about where I'm like, wow, I've really got to see him in AEW. Um, he's mostly wrestled a lot with the the people from the independent scene that are now in AEW. Mm-hmm. So we've seen a lot of it. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing that we're like, oh, I got to see Adam Cole Moxley or Adam Cole Jericho or like that just doesn't. I can't even really picture that. So, um, I'm good. I'm good with what we got. <laughs> the, the, I'm not including Punk and Daniel Bryan, which are kind of in a different category to me. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know anything about. Um, I don't really know that much about uh, CM Punk. I haven't really thought that much about, you know, what I want to see from him because I don't know anything about him. But, um, you know, Daniel Bryan that does open up some some more that opens up some interesting rivalries and it it opens up the possibility of having some matches that he has had in the past again now all these years uh you know down the line um which actually does interest me like right going back and and getting to see 
um, Daniel Bryan and, and AJ Styles sort of redo some of what they had done before WWE years later in WWE was very interesting. And you could make some of those same matchups in AEW and, and that would, that would interest me. Um, yeah. So that's kind of an exception because there is no slot for that. Someone, a Daniel Bryan's slot that is already occupied in AEW because there is only one Daniel Bryan. Yes. Like, you know, he's the greatest wrestler of his generation. So of course you can put him in. Right. Um, so yeah, he's singular. He's a singular talent. So that that's very different, and and Punk kind of s- similar, um, and Punk even though he's like a, a, an aging guy now, like um, I, I could see him kind of in a Jericho-ish role as Jericho eventually, presumably, moves out of active wrestling. What? <laughs> like he he would occupy the same kind of has the same kind of stature. In, in the wrestling business. So um, I, I'd like to see both of them. But the people recently released from WWE, much less so. Although I wish them well. Uh, so the, our last question is um, not really a question. I guess it's more a jab at me. Uh, Steve says, hypothetically, of all the famous wrestlers out there, which one is most likely to block you on Twitter because of some lighthearted joking that you and Kendall Shields did years ago. Uh, Kendall Shields is the co-author of my book, The MMA Encyclopedia. And um, so I don't have to guess. It's not really a question because the famousest wrestler who blocked us on Twitter uh, was CM Punk. <laughs> um, and it was uh, because we were... Um, Are you 100% sure that's what the question refers to? I thought it referred to your tweet that you made just a, like a day ago about... Finding out that you were blocked by a famous-ish, as you said, wrestler. And that KS is me. Oh. I think he's trying to figure out who you made fun of and who blocked you. So in in our But that list is so long. (laughs) That's that's So that's crazy. So I was thinking about like (laughs) an actual event that happened. uh, Kendall Shields, we actually on the message board stays referred to as KS. Um, I think course, it's I think it's Christina it's, Snowden. I think it's me. And I did make a tweet about yes. the famousish. Um, that was a, a, a an MMA fighter. Um, oh no, the famousish wrestler. Yeah. Um, yeah, that he's just trying to he's trying to, to figure, to out, figure who out who it was. Oh. But that list is so long. There's such a long list of famousish wrestlers that you've made fun of that have blocked you. And may have blocked you and could have blocked you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't actually know. I only know this one because I just happened to, like, you know how when you're on Twitter and you um, someone retweets something and you can't see it. <laughs> like, that may not happen to normal people. It happens to me because it's like that person's blocked me. Um, and then I clicked on it and it's like, oh, it's a, it's a wrestler. <laughs> it's actually not that common for a wrestler to block me. Um, CM Punk blocked me but i think he blocks lots of people um he blocked all of us because we were kind of when he was getting into mma we made a little bit of fun of, um, how he was not very good at it <laughs> he didn't like that um so he blocked us but i mean uh, i was blocked by the young bucks at one point before i even really knew who they were um i was 
not really back heavy into wrestling. Um, I was an MMA reporter, and but I was a wrestling enthusiast. People knew that. And so somebody sent me a clip of like the Young Bucks doing some tomfoolery. <laughs> And I was like, this, that stuff is killing the business or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever kind of thing that people say about the Young Bucks. I didn't ask the Young Bucks. I right. didn't know who the Young Bucks were. I sure. just saw a goofy clip and was like, that's not wrestling. That's like the people who occasionally get caught up in my blog fest and then ask you like, about Kenny. why, oh no, why has your wife blocked me? So um, fast forward to us actually like watching a lot of uh, the Young Bucks like uh, PWG stuff and being the elite. Yeah, like a hundred episodes of being the elite. Just finding it hilarious. And then I'm just like, oh man, now I feel really bad. Oh, damn. (laughs) Not because I want to interact with them on Twitter, but it's just like, oh, I I was an asshole maybe. I don't remember the exact circumstances, but I, you know. um, But beyond that, like it's not... It's not as many as you would think that I'm aware of, at least. Um, there's a lot of wrestlers who probably don't like me. but um, Is this just a long-winded way of you saying you're not going to tell this guy who blocked you? Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> dredge that up. Like, There's no benefit to anyone. It's a very famous-ish, it's probably um, exaggerated. Um, it's an independent-level wrestler. Um, Second-generation wrestler, how about that? That'll, uh, oh, okay. that'll give you something, give, give something a, to go on. Yeah, a little bit of a This hint. person's father was very famous uh, when I was a kid. So um, that's the questions. All right. Well, um, we have a crazy weekend coming up. I can't believe that was uh, about you. KS is Christina Snowden. I was like, wait, I think that he he's... I thought this was like a really inside question. Like this is like a long time follower of me. If it had said, if it had no, said fighter, but this is just he's just rewording your yeah, tweet. It's re- to try to tweet. figure out who who blocked you. Huh. <laughs> Sorry, he's not going to tell you his lips are sealed. <laughs> um. But yeah, so we have a crazy week coming up this weekend. Um. First on Friday, we're going to get our very first Rampage. So we're going to get a look at, like, what this show is. I'm really interested to see what they do with it. So they've... they've um, is it one hour? It's I think it's one hour, kind of late-ish, at least for us old people. And um, I believe they've only advertised three matches for it. Only? They've advertised three matches, and two of them are, like, title matches. Right. Like, there's going to be room for a lot of other stuff. Well, so... Like, Kenny Omega and Christian ain't having a short match. Oh, right. Um, Unless yeah, some, I, some crazy happens. Right. So, what I think, thus far, the only thing we've gotten from the advertisement is that it seems like it's going to be more focused on just the matches. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that means typically you're just going to get you know, three matches or whatever. Um, we'll see. We'll, we'll get to see what it looks like. Then we'll see the Impact Championship um, contested um, and the Women's Championship. And well, then... I don't want to get into a whole thing, but, like, I think they need the opposite. What AEW needs is much more skits and story development and some of the stuff that exists only on YouTube being put 
in front of the audience. I mean, I that's I have said that as well. Like I I feel like um like I like the matches, but man, they that's not what they're lacking. Yeah. So I mean, I I guess I guess we'll see. <laughs> um we'll also get Kenny defending his Triple A championship, um Triple Mania. So typically we have watched this online um on their on Triple A's Twitch channel. They haven't actually advertised whether or not it's going to be on there. There are several big uh, Lucha fans who will be broadcasting the show on their own Twitch channels. Um, in in Mexico, it's not a pay-per-view. It's free. Uh, apparently, they don't do a lot of cracking down on people sharing it. Um, so there should be free ways for you to access it. Um, this show slays every it's year. Every year. It's really, you don't really have fun. To, you don't have to know anything about it. Nothing. It's just a visual spectacle and the matches are just comedy and crazy high spots and sometimes some bloody gore. Like it's, oh, yeah, the, it speaks for itself. Oh, for sure. The main event, uh, which is not their championship match, but instead is a, um, is going to be, um, it'll, it'll be bloody. It'll be gory. It'll be hard fought. Um, I think it's mask versus hair. Um, and they do not take this lightly. No, like uh, one of the famous ones we saw, guys are getting hit with hammers and cinder blocks. And... <laughs> I mean, this is really, really serious business. Like these, um, if you've ever, this is always interesting to me. If you just go to, say, the Wikipedia entry on any famous uh, luchador, you're going to see that they'll have a, you know, kind of a, a broad breakdown of the person's career, but then you're going to see any of these big matches, these matches for your hair, matches for your mask, like... These are huge milestones yeah, they call in their them, career. They call them apuestas. Yes. Okay. I could not think of the word to Which, save my life. Uh, basically means that there's a wager. Yes. Being placed. Yes. Which is your mask versus someone else's mask. Very important. Or your hair versus someone yes. else's hair. So. And um, yeah. So th- those that's those are those have typically been the main event of the show, and it's no different this year. And and those matches are intense, and. Um, also, you know, as uh, AEW and Impact watchers, you're going to get not only Kenny on this match, but also uh, Deanna Parasso is going to fight for their women's championship. So multiple um, people that you'll know even if you've never watched. And New Japan AAA. has a show as well, right? Yes, and then New Japan Resurgence, which I'm really excited for. I think this card this looks amazing. This is their American paper. Yeah, it's with a live audience. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm super excited about that. And, and you'll see there's AEW faces there as well. Lance Archer is gonna, is there, Moxley's there. Um, they're strong. They're New Japan America strong show. That's every Friday. Um, a lot of those people will be participating and there's so much talent there. So, um, even if you're not a New Japan watcher. Yeah, I mean, guys, guys like Brody King and Chris Dickinson and Tom Waller. I would have, really find a way. Have been yeah, killing to, it To watch there. this. So, it should be um, a really big weekend, and which means that we don't really have a good excuse for not coming right back. And right, and if you like Joshi Wrestling, Tokyo Joshi Pro has their um, two Princess Cup, first their semifinal match, and then another show um, 
for the, with their finals. Um, so this is a, this is a real, these are, these are big shows for that promotion. So, um, wow. So I'm not getting anything done this weekend. No, just a lot of wrestling. 